Thanks, John. No. I feel quite fancy with this thing, I have to be honest. Never had one of these on before. I think I should get one for my classroom. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. As, as John said, my name's Lisa, and I am privileged to be part of this local church. And I just want to start by thanking the eldership, which is represented today by John and his beautiful wife, Michelle, for trusting me with this opportunity. And also just to reiterate again that I am preaching under the covering of the elders and my husband, Ian, sitting over there. And also, as John said, will you guys let me know when we're up and running at the back there? We are. Oh, look, there we go. <laughs> so as John mentioned, we are doing this awesome identity series at the moment. So those of you who are joining us for the first time, Zander mentioned our newly relaunched and rebranded websites, so you can catch the podcasts and the YouTube videos of the last two weeks. But we, put, we actually postponed this series. It was meant to be a couple of months ago, and God doesn't make accidents so, or, or make mistakes. This series is meant to be preached now. And just want to give you a quick recap. I'm going to Unfortunately, we don't have Wi-Fi, so I was hoping to be connected to the system and just swipe, swipe, swipe and do my thing. So you're going to hear the word next a lot when I'm asking for the next slide. So, gents, can we have the next one up there, please? It's, it's stuck. That's okay. I'm a high school teacher. I'm used to things not working well. There we go. So in week one, Frank did a fantastic job on who I am in Christ. And those of you who are with us for the first time, ho uh, hopefully you received your identity booklet. And the main points that came out of week one is that we were chosen before the world began. We are loved, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are adopted into a royal family. We are blessed beyond belief. And our heavenly father takes great delight in us. In week one, Frank covered, once I know who I am and whose I am, how do I change? to be more like Christ. In week two, Bruce covered, I am his child and he is my father. And he spoke about many things, but the key thing for me was that we have a perfect father who is in control of our lives and who will lead us into our destiny. So if you missed either of those, please catch them on YouTube, catch them on our Spotify podcasts. And also, if you're not connected to a life group, we're running through the series in our life groups as well, and it's such a powerful time to connect and to find out about who you are in Christ. So please get yourselves connected into a life group, um, especially for this series, but I promise you, you'll find your family. Obviously, I'm not advertising here, but our life group with our awesome leaders, Julie and Andre, we have awesome dinner every week, just saying. You're most welcome. <laughs> But this is such an important series in the world that we live in at the moment. Our world is in an utter state of confusion and identity is under attack. Can I have the next one, guys? There we go. Um, John 8, 44 says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you know what, everyone is just on about pronouns at the moment, and I'm a he and a she and a it, and a, some people are identifying as wolves and others are identifying as in love with a Boeing 737, I kid you not. Um, and the world is in utter confusion. There is chaos out there. 
And 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, our God is not a God of confusion. So what does the world need? We sang a song today. We are all searching for answers only he can provide. The world needs Christ followers who are secure in their identity in him as beloved children of God. We are called to point the lost and confused to the only hope in this world, and that is Jesus. So this week, we have our third installment, and that is, I am his servant. I have asked my husband to like wave at me if I start going a bit fast. My, my students also have to remind me every now and again, Mrs. Cordry, please just slow down a little bit. So if I get a bit excited, I tend to talk very fast. I talk a lot with my hands. So <laughs> my husband will just keep me in check. It's his job in life to keep me in check. <laughs> He's doing an excellent job most of the time. <laughs> so today's topic is I am his servant. He is my master. And how can I serve more effectively? And this morning in our online prayer meeting and today in our team prayer meeting, um, Zander was telling us an awesome testimony this week about how the youth have just gotten stuck in and involved in serving the church and preparing for our big move. They were here on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, painting, moving, cleaning, working, and that is our youth. And as Zander pointed out, our next generation, and just to see that servant heart displayed in the youth in our church is just something so amazing. So, who is God? So many things are mentioned in the Bible, but for today I want to focus on our God being our good father, which Bruce covered so well last week, and our good master. The world can sometimes have a bit of a bad connotation of masters, but God is our good master, and he is calling us to be good servants, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Why be a servant? Jesus and we are called to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant leader. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are called to be like Christ, to serve as he served. While I was preparing for this preach, can we, yeah, there we go. While I was preparing for this preach, I came across this quote by David E. Taylor. The church doesn't need more people who think they're leaders. It needs more people who know that they're servants. So I am a servant. This is something that I can quite easily identify with. And we also went through a series as a church last year, the Gifted series. And also if you've joined us since we've done that series, then I would really encourage you to get hold of the workbook. I'm sure it's available digitally on our online resources. It was such an outstanding series. And we started that series having to do a little bit of a quiz to find out what our particular giftings were. And the first two of mine did not come as any surprise to me at all, teaching and serving. The third one was a bit of a surprise, to be honest. But as we worked through the, the gifted series and we opened up what each of the giftings were, I was like, oh, okay, I can be used in that way. But teaching is what I do every day. And serving is my love language. My love language is acts of service. My grace gift is service. So when I found out that this was the topic, I'm like, I, I can talk about service. I can talk about doing more, working harder, serving on every team. 
but that was not the message that God wanted me to preach. And as I said earlier, there are no mistakes with God, there are no coincidences with God. I was given this topic because God wanted to work this in my life first, and he wanted to highlight some areas in my life. So last week, and thank you worship team, this week as well, we sang that song, I'm a child of God. And he says, free at last, the song says, free at last, he has ransomed me, his grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. And last week as we were singing that song, I was struck by those lyrics of a slave versus a servant. It says, while I was a slave to sin, we are born as a product of original sin. We don't have a choice in being born. We are born into a fallen world. So slaves don't have a choice. If you go back in history and look at the slave trade, nobody had a choice there. Very sadly, modern day slavery is even more widespread than it was in historical times. And none of those people have a choice. As a servant, we have a choice. And Marais' beautiful word this morning was that we've not been given a spirit of slavery. The song goes on to say, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Identity is built on who Jesus says we are. He says we are chosen. And in turn, he has given us free will to choose him. I have a wonderful lady at home who helps me. And when she, she started working for us when my firstborn, Olivia, was still a baby. And we offered her the job. We chose her, but in turn, she had to choose us. And she did, and I'm so grateful. And she's really become part of our family. So God chose us before we were born, but it's now up to us to choose him. Now, I'm not a huge fan of small talk, So when you meet people for the first time, I'm a bit socially awkward. When you meet people for the first time, what's, what's, and also remember I have mentioned a few times, I am a high school teacher, I love interaction. So when you meet new people for the first time, generally what's one of the first things that gets asked? Anybody? Your name, your name, after your name. Hi, I'm Lisa. So what do you do? Oh, it's up there already. (laughs) So what do you do inevitably? becomes the topic of conversation. And this is generally how my goes. Hi, I'm Lisa, oh, so what do you do? I'm a high school teacher. Oh, what subject? Accounting. Oh, accounting, I hated accounting at school. Cool, good chat. Or it goes something along the lines of, I'm a teacher, oh, what grades? No, I teach grade 10, 11, and 12. Oh, teenagers, aren't they just the worst? Great, this is what I've chosen to do with my life, thank you. So why do we always default to this question when we're meeting new people? And I think it's because, firstly, we spend a lot of time at our jobs. And also, it can become our identity. So the first point I would like to talk about today is when my service becomes my identity. So anybody want to hazard a guess as to who that lady who's furiously mixing the bowl there, who she is? Martha, well done, if you were in my grade 10 class. I would tell you that you can get an ice cream for that answer. Um, Martha is always the person in the Bible that I have identified most strongly with. With a very close second being Deborah, the original hashtag lady boss. But 
I, I really do identify with Martha, and that's because I am always the person who's willing to do things, acts of service. So let's have a look, quick look together at um, Martha's story. So Luke 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and anxious about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So in week one, Frank introduced us to the image of the two circles, how God sees us on the left and how we see ourselves. That overlapping piece in the middle, where how God sees us and how we see ourselves over lines, is the sweet spot. And how did Mary, sorry, how did Martha see herself? She saw herself as capable, hardworking, serving Jesus. Now, none of those are bad things. So where does her identity gap come in? And I believe her identity gap comes in in that her service became her identity. If her identity was secure and I am, Jesus is my father and I am his child, she would have been right where Mary was, sitting at his feet. We need to work. There's a time to work. But Jesus was in her living room next door. Like we seek after the Lord's presence. He was right there and she decided to stay in the kitchen. So that block that I've introduced around Martha's identity there is that when our service becomes our identity, it becomes all that we can see. And this is something that I identify with very, very strongly. So a little bit of my backstory. I went to a school down the road. I was a very high academic achiever. I was head girl. But after school, I didn't have much direction. I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to become a teacher. But my father said no. I will always remember. He said, you can't be guaranteed, no, teachers don't earn enough, true story. And he said, you can't be guaranteed to marry a man who can look after you. Luckily, God had already chosen my wonderful husband for me. So I started teaching at my old school at 21 years old. And I honestly, I had been a bit lost and confused. And when I started teaching there, I found my calling. I worked there for 14 years, and that school and that job became my identity. Bruce spoke last week about the father. I don't have a very good relationship with my father. It's not really his fault. He's battled with mental health issues his whole life, and he was diagnosed late in life. But because of that lack of a good father, I had, have, a deep need to be seen as capable. At that school, I was seen as capable. I ran the rowing club, the grade eight orientation program, the overseas tour, I was head of innovations, head of accounting. I did all sorts of things there, and I loved it, I really did. When I resigned, I had a massive breakdown. I didn't know who I was apart from that job. 
Because my identity was not in Christ, my identity was in my job. Just to repeat a piece from that passage, Luke 10, 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted from where she was meant to be and what she was meant to be doing. I was, and for the most part, because God is still working this journey with me, I'm not standing up here because I have all the answers. I'm standing up here because I'm going, I'm working through this right now. And yeah, I still am, find myself distracted with much serving. So if this is the case, if, if our job becomes our identity, how can we serve more effectively? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So I've added onto that circle, where God sees us, where God's plans and purposes are, is where God's good works are. God has good works for each of us, planned in advance. Does that mean God needs me? Capable me? I can help, I can do it. No. God even used a donkey. But he chooses to use us. And he has gifted us for his unique purpose in his kingdom. When we align ourselves with his plans and purposes, and our identity is secure in him, and we are moving closer to seeing ourselves as God sees us, we will be operating in that sweet spot. Not to gain favor or to gain our salvation, but to please our Father and our Master. We recently had Alan Parfit from Nelspreit, who came and uh, preached in the life of our church, and he spoke about the Israelites going around the mountain again. I recently had to go around the service mountain again. If any of you have asked me recently how I am, you probably got an answer somewhere along the lines of, I'm so busy, I'm so tired, school is so hectic. And I've gotten myself so busy again, with so much serving at school, that I have not chosen the good portion. Strangely enough, God can speak to us through our spouses. Sometimes it takes me a long time to listen to my husband. (laughs) My husband has been encouraging me for a while to give up a certain portfolio at school. My answer has always been along the lines of, I can't. I'm good at it. No one will do it fairly like I do. In preparation for this preach, God spoke to me again, and he told me to lay it down. If I hadn't been preparing for that speech, I think I would still be stubbornly clinging onto this thing with the excuse that I'm good at it. But I'm so distracted by so much service that I'm not available for the good works that God has for my family and I in his kingdom. Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a servant of God, not servant Paul. This is me, servant Paul. It wasn't his identity, but it was part of his role, his role that was predestined for him. So, what do we do about it? Preaching to myself here, I promise you. Luke 10, 41 to 42 says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And Philippians 4, 6 to 7 tells us exactly what to do with this. It says, but do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So before I take on another thing at school, or even another thing at church, I need to take it to the Lord. We need to take it to the Lord. Present your requests to God. Inquire if this is part of the good works that God has for me, or if it's a distraction. This morning in our prayer meeting, um, somebody said to Johnny, what's that worm on your lip? And he said, and Terry said, no, it's Movember. But a lot of people are also calling this November. If it's not part of God's plan for your life, no is the answer. His peace will lead you into the fullness of his plans and promises. Just because you can do everything doesn't mean that you're called to do everything. The next point I want to look at with regards to identity and service is when I think I'm not good enough to serve. And I came across this, yep, it's up there. Can I like steal that fan? It's like sweltering up here. (laughs) Thank you. You guys will be fine. So I came across this post, and it said, in Joshua 2, we're introduced to Rahab the prostitute. Oh, praise Jesus. (laughs) And in Matthew 1, we are reintroduced to Rahab, a great-grandmother of the Messiah, Jesus. God changes labels and rewrites stories. So let's have a look at Rahab's identity gap. How God sees us, or her in this case, Rahab, a grandmother of Jesus. At that stage in her life, how Rahab saw herself, Rahab the prostitute. Like, that was her name in the Bible. Yeah. So often we, you can get, get nicknames associated with what you do. Where's my friend Steve? At Cornerstone, Steve's nickname was Fisherman Steve, because he loves to fish. Now, that's not a bad nickname. Rahab the prostitute, not a great one. So Rahab's identity was in her job. Late at night, there's a knock on the door. She has a particular job that is in her description of us. She probably was expecting to be ready to perform in a particular manner. But God saw her as so much more. And in that moment, she had a choice. She could send these men of God away because she thought she wasn't worthy of helping them. Or align herself with how God saw her and walk into his plans and purposes. Rahab, in that moment, made the right choice. And we see in Joshua 2.11, Rahab speaking, she says, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She acknowledged who God was. She, She saw herself in that instant how God saw her. She served his purposes by assisting his spies, and she rewrote the ending of her story. She traded her title of Rahab the prostitute and was adopted into the tribe of Israel. She found a family and she was included in the, in the lineage of Christ. She served effectively by acknowledging firstly who God was and not focusing on who she thought she was. And I, also, this post popped up on my, on my socials, this beautiful painting of four of the women included in the lineage of Christ. And you can see Rahab there with her red 
scarf that she hung out the window so that her and her family would be safe, and you can see that she's wearing a crown of righteousness. God took her from Rahab the prostitute to Rahab, a grandmother of Jesus. Now, it's, she made the right choice, but it's not always easy to make the right choice when our identity is shaky. And why can our identity be shaky? When we believe the lies of the enemy. So Jesus tells the story of a master going on a long trip. And before he leaves, he entrusts his servants with his money, and then he returns and asks for an account. So we're going to meet the third servant first. And this is my third point. When the enemy tells me I'm not good enough to serve. And you can see a little extract there from Matthew 25, 25. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. We can miss out on serving and doing the good works that God has for us if we believe the lies of the enemy that we're not good enough. Matthew 25, 24 and 25 says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Look, I did well. I looked after your one job, like your one bag of gold. So if we look at servant three's identity gap, how does God see us? Worthy, chosen, loved. How can we see ourselves if we believe the lies of the enemy? Useless, worthless stupid, ugly, not good enough, whole bunch of labels that have been put on us. He said, I was afraid. Julie's word this morning about being shame, full of shame. This servant three, he was afraid of the master. He was so full of shame. And I think the reason why he was afraid and the reason why he was a poor servant is at one stage he probably had a poor master who told him, he was useless and worthless and not good enough. Unfortunately, the enemy can use people that come across our paths, teachers, parents, bosses, who say something, who put a label on us that hinders us from serving effectively because we stop, start operating out of a place of fear when we believe the lies that we are not good enough. So... That servant, servant number three, he didn't make the right choice at that moment. And he moved further away from his master's plans and purposes as he believed the enemy's lies about him. I don't want to be like servant three. I want to be a good servant that serves effectively knowing where God has called me to serve. So let's have a look at servant one, being a good servant. And what, this master, what the master says about this servant is, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's have a look at his story. Matthew 25, 19 to 21. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's joy. Have a look at servant one's identity. How does God see us? Worthy, chosen, loved. 
If we see ourselves as God sees us, as servants of God, how are we called to see ourselves? Equipped, dependent on our master, chosen. In order to serve more effectively in our workplace, in the church, in whatever sphere God has called you to, we need to see ourselves like God sees us, like the first servant saw himself. So how do we do this? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When he calls us, he will equip us. How? Through his word. He has given us a blueprint, a step-by-step guide. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and the sevenfold manifestations or graces from God to equip us for our good works. If you've recently joined us, last year Bruce did an outstanding series on the seven graces or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit from Revelations. And I would really, if you weren't part of us when we did that series, I would really, really encourage you to go through it. It really was incredible. So God doesn't set us up for failure. God, we are his children. He wants to see us succeed. If he has called us to something, he has equipped us for that thing. He has given us the graces that we need to do well for God in what he's called us to. So what did the good servant get that the bad servant didn't? Being a servant of my good master, I have access to his plans, I have access to his protection, I have access to his provision, and I have access to his praise. So the first one. I have access to his plans. Mary, Jesus' mother, was a young girl. And when she was visited by an angel, scary enough, then told she was going to have a baby. Very scary. What was her response? I am his servant. She didn't know every step of the plan. She didn't know how this was actually going to happen. But her identity was secure in knowing that God, the all-powerful, had a plan, and she was a part of it. This is a small little example. Those of you who've been to my house, we've got a two-week whiteboard planner in the kitchen. And Sonto, the lady who helps me at home, she has access to that. She has access to our plans. She knows what our week plan for the week is. And having access to our plans enables her to help us more effectively. I got home from school on, on Friday after a very busy day, And because on the whiteboard it said that the girls had swimming at four o'clock, the swimming bags were already packed. So she helps me even more by having access to my plans. Number two, I have access to his protection. In 2 Samuel 10, the Bible tells a story about King David and a king from a neighboring kingdom dies. So David, very kindly, sends some of his servants to offer their condolences. The new king insults these servants, treats them terribly. So David, in response, sends his whole army and takes them out. I am not advocating for smiting your enemies. 
But as God's servants, when someone comes up against us, we have God's covering and God's protection. I also have access to his provision. One of the key places we see this is with, with Jesus' disciples. When he calls them to follow him, they leave everything. They leave what they're doing and they follow him. Some of them were in the family business of fishing. Others had rather lucrative careers. There was a doctor, there was a lawyer. And what about financial provision? And yet look how their good master provided. In Matthew 14, he multiplied loaves and fishes, loaves and fishes, yes, and fed thousands. In Matthew 17, he provided for the temple taxes by telling Peter to go fishing, and there was the coin, just like there in the fish. He calmed a storm when they thought they were going to drown. He even provided forgiveness when they messed up time and time again. And we see that with Peter when he denied Christ three times. And after the fact, after the denial, Jesus said, feed my sheep. He didn't give up on Peter. He gave him another chance. Our father and master owns it all. And he is very generous. As his child and his servant, he provides for me. And he explicitly tells us not to worry about it. Am I telling you to quit your job tomorrow? No, I'm not. Because that might not be what God has called you to. When we are operating in what God has called us to do, his provision comes, his grace comes. In Matthew 6, 25 and 33, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and I'd like to add in there, and his plans for your life, and all these things will be given to you as well. And number four, I have access to his praise. Tim 4 verse 7, Paul is writing to Tim, Timothy, I just called him Tim. Tim the guy, Steve the fisherman. Um, the time for his departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. A crown of righteousness, and it just makes me think of the picture of those four women in the lineage of Christ wearing their crowns. And that's my goal, to be welcomed into heaven one day, hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. How? Remain focused on him. Approach the throne room of grace humbly and ask God if a new job, task, portfolio is part of the good work that he has for you or if it's a distraction. Make decisions. So I'm just recapping my three people. Martha, Rahab, and the servant three. Make decisions through the lens that God is our good father and good master. And as Rahab declared, he is Lord in the heavens above and on the earth below. He knows us, he loves us, and he knows the plans he has for us. Good plans. Don't operate out of fear and shame like the third servant. 
Pray and inquire of the Lord where there are areas in your life where you have believed the lies of the enemy, that you are not good enough to serve God's purposes in your generation. Seek godly counsel for your blind spots. I am so privileged to be surrounded by friends that can say to me, Lisa, this is not what you're meant to be doing, or Lisa, it's not quite the right way to be looking at things. God has put people in your lives who can speak into your life because when your service becomes your identity, you're boxed off and you're going to have those blind spots. Listen to the people. Listen to your husband, Lisa. Spend time with your master so that you are like the first, the first servant. You can, al- you can align your identity more and more closely with how your master sees you. Loved, chosen, equipped for good works that he has pre-planned for you. He, Jesus says in Matthew 11:30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we are doing his will and not off on our own mission, we will be equipped to do it well so that one day we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's joy. Now, there might be some of you today, and you know who your master is, but you've been operating out of fear, like the first servant, and you want a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to break those lies of the enemy in your life so that you can serve more effectively in what God has called you to. There may also be some of you today who cannot be called good and faithful servants because you've not made the decision to follow Jesus as your good and loving master. And today I invite you to make a life-changing choice, to be adopted into a royal family, to be his child, and allow him to be your father, to serve his purposes in your life, and allow him to lead you as a good master. Can we stand?